Welcome to Connections. I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Lyme disease is a growing threat in Canada. The number of reported cases continues to rise each year with over 2,000 cases reported in 2017. The illness can be difficult to diagnose as symptoms often mimic those of the flu. Today we'll chat with Dr. Kieran Moore, a public health physician and an expert in Lyme disease. He'll tell us not only how to prevent ourselves from getting Lyme disease, but also what to do if we've already been diagnosed. Lyme disease has been in the spotlight recently in Canada, with at least two pop stars being diagnosed within the past couple of years. Dr. Kieran Moore is a public health physician and an expert in Lyme disease. Why are we hearing more about Lyme disease? This is an emerging threat in Canada. It's an emerging infectious disease, most likely as a result of climate change, as the tick can overwinter and survive within our environment. Uh, we are seeing more and more ticks spreading northward uh, from uh, the, the North England states initially and, and now uh, uh, almost sea to sea across Canada. And when these ticks are able to overwinter and survive, they are bringing with them uh, numerous different infections, including Lyme disease. And uh, this is the new risk uh, to Canadians, uh, coast to coast. And because it's a new infection, uh, the public aren't that aware of the signs and symptoms of it, and quite frankly, nor are physicians or other healthcare practitioners. Uh, and we've got a long ways to go to uh, increase the science of, of Lyme disease in Canada, as well as educate the public and physicians regarding this new threat. When you say it's a new threat, like uh, what are the uh, number of diagnoses that we used to see and, and what are we seeing now? Well, I'll start off in, in Little Kingston. We, in 2006, we had uh, uh, just a handful of cases of Lyme disease, uh, and we were just starting to detect ticks in, in our environment. Uh, and that just has exponentially increased. So this uh, last year, we had uh, 290 human cases of Lyme disease in a population of around 200,000. And, and that puts us at one of the highest rates of Lyme disease in the country. So it has increased exponentially year after year, almost doubling or tripling every single year. And that can be true of all of the hot spots of Lyme disease coast to coast. Uh, and that includes southern Manitoba, uh, southern Quebec, uh, uh, and Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. Uh, their rates are increasing uh, drastically as well. Why those areas specifically? That is exactly where the tick has been able to overwinter uh, and where uh, the tick has uh, found the partners that share this um, uh, cause of Lyme disease called Borrelia burgdorferi. It lives within uh, the small mouse population uh, and it's, uh, the ticks are supported by the deer population. So wherever you have that mix of ticks, uh, and wooded areas that can support the mice and deer, you will see an increased risk for Lyme disease. So maybe areas like uh, northern Alberta, you haven't seen large increases yet then, but, but if things don't turn around, then that could certainly change? Absolutely. This uh, In Ontario, for example, uh, in southeastern Ontario, uh, the Lyme disease risk has migrated 50 kilometers uh, a year northward. Wow. Uh, and so now Ottawa, uh, one of the coldest capitals in the world, uh, has uh, ticks present up and down the Ottawa River, uh, and those ticks 
30% of them have the uh, Borrelia that causes Lyme disease in them. So now you're affecting a high-density urban population with a million people as compared to southeastern Ontario with less dense population. So I could see this happening across North America and heading up into Alberta where we have a northward migration. Uh, and we can't forget that birds carry ticks, and through the bird migration they can drop uh, ticks with Borrelia in them anywhere in Canada. So you can get sporadic cases or you can build these endemic areas where you have the right combination of temperature, overwintering, white-footed mouse, uh, and a deer population. So like you were saying, then a lot of people out there don't actually know the symptoms because it hasn't been something that really has been a problem. So what are the symptoms for those who don't know? Uh, and, and again, this is... Uh, this is difficult because the symptoms can be um, uh, somewhat innocuous. So the typical uh, reaction when a tick bites you, and if it has Borrelia in it, and the Borrelia survives, and the tick is attached for long enough for the Borrelia to, to go from the saliva of the tick in and under our skin, will be an expanding red rash uh, greater than 5 centimeters, typically at the site of the tick bite. Uh, and that is one of the hallmark uh, rashes that we're trying to train healthcare providers and the public to be aware of. That, that rash typically isn't itchy, but it can be itchy. It typically doesn't blister. And with it, you may have fevers and chills and muscle aches, so we call it a summertime flu. Not all patients will have that rash. They just may have the summertime flu. If that rash isn't identified or the symptoms aren't identified as being from uh, Lyme, the uh, Borrelia bacteria at that time, the bacteria can spread through the blood system and affect joints, the heart muscle, or neurologic tissue. And so if it causes uh, inflammation and infection in neurologic tissue, you could have headache, you could have a, a, a palsy, a weakness to the side of the face, or any other new nerve, a burning nerve, or a palsy to a nerve, and, and, uh, and or inflammation around the brain. If it affects the heart, the heart can slow down uh, in what we call a heart block, where the heart's rate is stuck or set at around 40 beats per minute. So if your heart's wow. only beating at 40 beats per minute you may feel lightheaded and dizzy when you walk. And we've had 19-year-olds in Kingston go for a jog and feel so lightheaded that they collapse. They get brought to the emergency department and they're diagnosed with Lyme disease because uh, uh, the hallmark is that very slow, persistent heart rate, uh, which, again, is treatable with antibiotics. And if all that is missed, uh, and the patient, uh, the Borrelia burgdorferi, the, uh, the agent that causes Lyme disease, persists in your body, it then preferentially likes the joint space. And we've had children present to our emergency department with new-onset arthritis in a knee, so a red, swollen knee, but they're walking in, they're not in too much discomfort, uh, and this typically would happen later. It takes around three months. So this time of year, we've had patients present um, with that new arthritis, and they are diagnosed with Lyme disease. But uh, sadly, because this is a new infection, uh, physicians aren't that aware of it, those diagnoses sometimes take a year or two uh, to, to actually uh, detect uh, that, that it was Lyme that caused that initial arthritis. 
you often hear people they get diagnosed with Lyme disease, but here they've been suffering for like a year or two, and it takes that long to get diagnosed. Why is that the case? Why does it get missed so often? Again, it, it, we have a lot of catching up to do with the medical uh, community to educate them about the various presentations of this. Because uh, we weren't trained about Lyme disease as an agent that can cause arthritis, it's not high up in the list that we keep in our brains of what the typical you know, first, second, third causes of arthritis in a young person. Now we have to add this new cause of arthritis and almost have to... Uh, in, in our area, it, it should be the number one uh, cause that a physician should think about if, if, uh, if a young person or older person shows up with a new swollen joint that has had potential exposure to ticks. Uh, they, they need to be tested uh, for Lyme disease, and, and it has to be high up in, their, in what we call a differential diagnosis, all the different causes of arthritis that you have to keep front of mind when assessing a patient. So we call that the knowledge to action. There has to be a lot of knowledge translation to physicians to update them on the various presentations. And you can see this is a complex disease. If it's missed at that very first time where it causes that expanding red rash and or that summertime flu, and it disseminates in the bloodstream and causes all these other uh, uh, organ inflammations like neurologic, cardiac, and joint, we have a complex uh, diagnosis uh, to try to figure out uh, the cause. But in hot spots, uh, we're actively trying to educate physicians about these these new uh, risks and new diagnoses that have to be made. So we also often hear, too, that there are there, there's no resources, there's no treatment available for those who are diagnosed. Is that the case, or, or are there treatments out there now that are available? N- number one, we're... we're we have a lot to do number, to, to prevent people from uh, having Lyme disease, so that's the tick prevention and educating them to remove ticks quickly, uh, and that can decrease your risk of getting Lyme disease. Number two, if you're getting early symptoms of Lyme disease, we want to treat it when you have that rash of the summertime flu so that you don't get delayed diagnosis. Uh, and if you do have cardiac or neurologic or joint involvement, there are treatments. Uh, often uh, uh, one or two long-term doses of antibiotics can, can calm the symptoms. Some patients will have what, uh, what is called post-treatment Lyme symptoms where they get ongoing uh, joint uh, problems or fatigue. That's not uncommon after any serious or prolonged infection to have uh, those symptoms. And, and for the most part, in many patients, those symptoms resolve over time and can be treated symptomatically. But, so our main goal is, number one, prevent. As a, as a research network, we want to educate the public and, and study how best to educate the public on the prevention piece. Number two, educate physicians and figure out the best means of educating uh, healthcare workers on the early identification of Lyme disease and treatment at that stage, because treatment is highly effective if, if caught early, and then you don't get the disseminated uh, issues. What about someone who may have gone years with undiagnosed Lyme disease? Is there any treatment for people like that who are only now figuring out that that's the cause of their problems? The best uh, assessment would be to see an infectious disease physician if, if you've had prolonged Lyme disease and to have the appropriate testing done to be offered uh, appropriate best guideline treatment. Uh, and then for residual symptoms, um, we, we do have experts now that have uh, great experience with people that have residual symptoms. 
uh, and, and find out the best management for those symptoms. It used to be so scary, though. Like, everybody here, you got Lyme disease, and it seemed like kind of a curse, right? Like, there was no hope, but it sounds like that's changing a lot. And with the education changing, uh, maybe a big part of that, though, is not the treatment, but prevention and contracting it in the first place. What's the best way we could do that? So that, that for that, we need a very broad-based educational campaign, and it has to start... Uh, and as soon as the snow goes uh, and continues throughout that tick biting season uh, to educate people about where ticks can be found, and they're typically found in, in wooded areas um, where you're going to see deer and, and white-footed mice, uh, that um, simple measures uh, such as uh, daily tick checks are important. And if you remove ticks from your body before uh, they have prolonged attachment. You can decrease your risk of uh, getting Lyme disease. Uh, as well, using uh, DEET uh, is effective. Uh, it's a deterrent uh, for the ticks to attach and to get onto your skin. Uh, and um, pets can bring ticks. You take your dog or uh, pet for a walk uh, in the woods, they can bring ticks back into your home uh, and make sure that your animals are protected. There's vaccines for dogs. Uh, and there's also anti-tick medication for, for dogs. Uh, I, I used to let, I live in Kingston, I used to let my pets uh, sleep with my kids until I started taking more and more ticks off my boys uh, and had to separate uh, the, the dogs uh, from the family sleeping environment. I feel like a lot of us used to think, too, like tick season was kind of early springish, and then it ended, right? But we were finding at our cabin and stuff ticks on our dogs all summer long. What is the this? Is it pretty much, you said, from when the snow goes to, to when the snow returns and freezing temperatures return, or what is the season? That is exactly it. You have to be aware of ticks from... Uh the, the, the day the snow has melted, because they will be coming out uh, from their protected habitat deep under the snow where they're insulated against the cold temperatures, uh, and then uh, to the first uh, permanent snowfall. Um, the, a- the adults are the ones that are on those extremes uh, that are migrating looking for a, a delicious blood meal from us and or from a deer. Uh, and, and then in the summertime, the biggest risk, is uh, the nymph stage, which is the smallest poppy seed uh, stage of a tick. They're the ones, because they're so small and they're not quickly uh, picked up during your your tick checks, that actually are the highest transmitters of of the agent that causes Lyme disease. And we have to be the most conscientious to find those little poppy seeds and remove them Mm -hmm. quickly. When you investigate and, and interrogate patients that have uh, had Lyme disease, uh, a significant proportion of them uh, say they don't even recall a tick bite, and it's because it was the nymph. We will all, I think, be able to pick up the adult in our armpits or behind our knees or in the groin because that's their preferential place, a nice little hiding place um, where they can get a delicious blood meal. Uh, but the nymph, um, given its size, is really the, the highest risk agent. I don't know about you. Start talking about ticks. I feel them crawling on me now. <laughs> is there a good way we could um, make our yards kind of a tick-free zone, or at least reduce the risk of having them in our own yards? At least. Oh, I think that's a great question. So there are the ticks. Don't like this particular tick. It's a hard, uh, hard-shell tick. Uh, doesn't withstand getting dried out. And so it likes shaded areas, it likes t- 
tall grasses. So even the fact of mowing your lawn and keeping the lawn cut is helpful for reducing your uh, tick burden. And, and it doesn't like sunshine because it dries itself out. So sunshine in the backyard, keeping the lawn covered, uh, and, and then reducing the risk uh, because of mice and deer, of mice and deer coming into your backyard is also very helpful. If you uh, uh, butt against the forested area, uh, it is suggested that at least a meter uh, or two of a, of a drying zone, so wood chips, uh, would be very helpful because the chick would have to crawl across the wood chips to get into your lawn, and that, that again, is a drying zone that the ticks don't like. Uh, so, so sunshine, think of drying zones, keeping the lawn uh, uh, to, to a short level where the ticks um, won't, will be exposed to sunshine and drying out, all are very helpful for reducing tick burden. For people who want to learn more about Lyme disease and, and more about preventing um, themselves from getting Lyme disease, how can they go about doing that? Most of the provincial and federal websites, if you Google Lyme disease, uh, will have information. And, and I think the, the federal, the Public Health Agency of Canada website is very good, has uh, uh, good evidence-based information on prevention. I was just looking at the Manitoba site. It is excellent, and it also keeps citizens up to date on the surveillance. Uh, and the signs and symptoms of the disease, uh, and, and I, they're doing their best to keep up to date on this ever-changing emerging infectious disease by uh, every year changing the risk maps and updating them and updating our numbers of people affected. Uh, those would be the best evidence-based sites, I think, to get information from. Well, we've learned a lot from today, and there's plenty of information to take in. Remember, if you want to listen to the full conversation again, you can always do that by visiting your radio station's website. We'll talk to you again on Connections.